Hello, everybody. Welcome to the episode of Elixir Mix. I am the only host today. Sadly, we just lost a couple of hosts earlier today due to other things. I'm your host, Alan Weimar. Today, I'm with Chase Granbury, who is leading up the observability team at Super Base, not Super Fly, which I said many times before. I've been lucky enough to kind of catch him on the fly like this. Again, uh, no meaning to pun again, but kind of catch you randomly today. I reached out to them to talk to one of the people on the team and I got introduced to Chase. I, or did I reach out to you directly? I can't remember. Maybe both. It was, yeah, both. I think, I think I was, you hit. I picked everybody. I picked everybody I could find. So if you guys want to do the same thing as me, just join the uh, Discord channel and just ping everybody with the uh, with a label of team and you'll find somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so hopefully I wasn't born. What do you Hopefully I wasn't like annoying you guys too much. But like yeah. I reached out, I reached out like yesterday night for me, and nobody got back to me. And so I was like, you know, what? I'm just gonna hit everybody up. Maybe maybe everybody's shy, and then eventually got back. But in any case, yeah. So it's great to have you on. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. With the recent news of you guys actually pushing forward channels, I mean, that's pretty exciting stuff because I think you guys are a little bit obfuscating the fact that you guys are using Elixir, in, in my opinion, because you're not really, you don't really expose some of those pieces, I think, directly to the, the end consumer, right? Yeah, no, we haven't. I mean, it's always we've I mean, we've tried to promote Elixir, but it hasn't. But our, you know, like the, our main, I guess, end user is our like front end developers. Um, and so I don't think it gets as much attention as it should, frankly. But but yeah, we've used Phoenix since the beginning. And so Superbase is mm, like Postgres hosted Postgres. Well, Host it, or you can host it yourself. It's it's all open source, but we built a lot of things on top of Postgres to make to make the experience really nice for front end devs. And one of those pieces of the stack is the real time service, which is the thing that's built on Elixir and the Phoenix framework, and that is the thing that reads the Postgres right ahead log and then broadcasts all those changes to the connected client, like front end clients for people. So we've had, so just, I guess, a little, a little context. The, the last week we did a, we do launch weeks periodically where we try and push to get some improvements out and new things out. And we were in the middle of a lot of work on the real-time service. And so we were thinking like, you know, how can we improve it? And it's already Phoenix and channels. And so it's like, well, why don't we let people, I mean, we push stuff to the client and I guess they could send 
messages back, but we don't we don't do anything with those. So we're like, well, why don't we just let people use Phoenix channels and they can send kind of like like any any message really that they want over their channel and then I was like, well, if we're doing that, like, why don't we kind of like enable presence for people? And so we're, that's basically, we're now going to be offering essentially Phoenix channels and Phoenix presence, like as a service. And on top of that, as you, you know, you get your Postgres real time change feed, like delivered over WebSockets. And it's all kind of like the developer experience for that is from a, for at least currently from a javascript perspective which we've been focusing on like the javascript library so just the the way that developers are able to actually interact with that is from a front end perspective is like is like really easy so that's kind of what we're what we're trying to do and you can actually you can go to multiplayer.dev is kind of like just a demo that we that we worked that we worked up it's not officially like you can't use it like immediately but we're we're going to be working off the um like a backlog of you know if you submit your info there you can we'll reach out and we can like enable your super base project and that stuff but but yeah so that's kind of what we've been doing recently that's that's pretty exciting stuff i mean like are you guys just really exposing all the phoenix channels and everything too the phoenix channels like you have a handle in event right so like, I'm just curious about how this would work because when I'm thinking about Phoenix channels, it's a lot of like actually programming the channels in order to send data. Yeah, well, we we basically built like just like a generic. So like you can send just any kind of like JSON data over like you get a channel, you get a you get a channel. On top of that, you have the real time, uh, the real time stuff. And then I mean, we're gonna we're we're essentially working off this concept of like extensions, and so real time is like an extension on top of the channel, and you can kind of like imagine. So you get your channel, and the real time extension is so when you broadcast events, each event has like a type, and so the the real time channel when you're listening, when you broadcast or listening, the type is like you know like Postgres, which is your, which is your database feed, and then the the there's like another type which is I think. PubSub, which is just like a ge- generic messages that will automatically that will get broadcast to everybody that's connected. So you could you could send that from one client with the type like PubSub, and then a map of data, and that and that data can be anything you want, really, and that'll just get sent to every client. And then and then we also have the the, the like presence extension, and I forget off the top of my head what type that is, but then. So we kind of like are bucketing these use cases and and message types that get sent over PubSub. Okay, so I can imagine it would be like, okay, so everybody would have like their own private like sub channel, right? So it's like when you join a channel, you have like the, the typical way you'd have like a, a main topic colon and like something very specific, right? Yeah. So that yeah. something like that, I'm guessing. Yeah, and our, I mean, I think... I wasn't actually the dev that built all of this because they were kind of working on a lot of it before I even got there. But I think I think everybody gets their own quote unquote channel process, and then the 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 front end JavaScript library kind of does all like the like the naming for you, so you can scope messages to essentially the event type, and it kind of handles the the process like group like the groups of messages essentially. Okay. 
I, I'm kind of curious. So, so who is like the main target of uh, Superbase? Is it you said it really is front end devs in terms of web, or do you guys have a good mixture of web and and uh, mobile? Or uh, no, it's a good it's a good mix. I mean, I don't know. Well, we actually do have some stats now on like the client library usage. I think it's mostly. I think the majority is JavaScript. And so I think the majority would probably be web, but we have lots of we have lots of libraries, and um, some of them are for like actual mobile frameworks. But essentially, most but but essentially, it's just like the. I mean, ultimately, every need everybody like needs a database to put data in, and Postgres is a great database, and so and and these kind of features that we're making like a bit easier to use, at least for front-end devs, too. So, yeah, that's kind of like our target our target market, really. Yeah, I was kind of curious because I'm thinking, like, because I do a lot of mobile development myself, and I think with, like, Android, you can keep a WebSocket connection open if you ever, like, background the app. Mm-hmm. But iOS, they'll actually be cut. So I'm kind of curious about how you guys would mm-hmm. handle something like this. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's actually on the roadmap for, like, the real-time piece of the stack is that like an extension would be like a push notification. And so you could just broadcast like an event type of like push notification and and then cl- and then we would kind of handle all the stuff on the back end to actually to actually get that stuff where you needed it. Now there'll be some things that you need to do like on the server like obviously like you need to like for the database you need we need to have your credentials and things. So there'll be like a UI where you could add, you know, like your whatever credentials you needed to um, to send push notifications and then but clients could uh, could broadcast and they could and then and then we'd handle that on the on the on the actual server side in the in the channel now is there plans to actually use more and more of elixir because i feel like it's really uh, a fantastic real-time tool but it seems like it's only really a small slice of what you guys are using if i read correctly because you guys are really using like a I would call it, sorry if it sounds uh, negative, but like a Frankenstein of different kinds of technologies. Like a lot of it, I think it's actually JavaScript though. Yeah, well, uh, GoTrue is Go. Real-time is Elixir. We have uh, uh, Superbase Storage, which is written in JavaScript. You know, you know, Postgres is actually uh, Haskell. <laughs> so, so yes, there are, there is, it is quite, it is, uh, it is a Frankenstein of, of, t- of stuff. But the idea was to use the really like open source libraries that are kind of like best in breed for what they're what they're doing and what they're known for, and and that started with Postgres because there are there are there are lots of libraries that will kind of help you turn your Postgres database into like an API automatically, but Postgres was was clearly like the leader in that, and so and the the guy that was maintaining that was interested in and actually joining Superbase. He was one of the first employees other than the founders. So that that's kind of like how that materialized. But yeah, I mean, it's like, how do we, how do we take, how do we not have to like rebuild all this stuff, but if we can put it together in a way that's pretty, at least seamless from the, from the developer experience, then let's, let's leverage those things and hopefully we can deliver value for our our users quicker that way, but yeah, Elixir. <laughs> so I mean, the the Elixir team is not huge, but it is expanding, and so the real time service is built on Elixir. 
I built Logflare, which is it was just like a like a hosted logging service. And I was talking to Superbase about like becoming a customer. And just in that discussion, they were interested in me coming on board full time. And so they essentially bought Logflare and now I'm full time Superbase. But Logflare is all Elixir and we have a we have a logging library that's written in Elixir that that I, I use. I think a decent number of people use it. Not exactly sure. But now all like the essentially all the logs we spent the last few months really building out like a log search UI inside Superbase. And that's actually all powered with APIs that are built on top of Logflare. And there's the there's a lot of things that Logflare is doing to make integrating kind of like analytics type data into your into your app and like operationalizing like uh, analytics type data. And then ultimately, uh, kind of like the next big, large, larger bulk of work is ultimately shipping Logflare with like the rest of the open source Superbase stack and kind of having Logflare be your like analytics data pipeline to whatever 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 data quote unquote warehouse you know postgres is great for like uh, transactional stuff right but at the as an analytics store it's not amazing and so we're looking at um we're looking at supporting uh, logflare sends everything to bigquery just cuz like that was easy for me as a bootstrapper and didn't have to worry a lot about a lot of things but we're going to be supporting another open source database like maybe clickhouse and then and then shipping that as as like uh an, an analytics part of the Superbase stack yeah i do remember logflare I, I when you mentioned the name it sounds so familiar and i look up the website and the website i definitely remember because it's very the green very much yeah. catches your eye <laughs> you know yeah, that's why hey you know it's like that's what i it's like Superbase is the same green roughly so that's Probably a good fit. <laughs> right. Oh, was that was that also part of the thing? That's like, hey, this yeah, is uh, <laughs> meant to be <laughs> deciding factor. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how long have you been with Superbase for? Not even. I think four months. No, five months. Something like that. I don't even know if it's okay. been six months yet. Maybe. And what, like, so as the time's coming on, you you know, you guys are using channels, and is there something else you guys are planning to bring in from Elixir or from Phoenix to kind of help out with uh, Superbase? Well, it's the so from the real-time product perspective, it's Phoenix and Presence. And and I mean, ultimately, like we're going to be building extensions on top of that. And hopefully we can have, hopefully we can have like a kind of a modular way for for people to to build ex- extensions themselves, extensions themselves. But we're also looking at Elixir for, I mean, I don't know, just, just for a lot of different things in terms of managing just in terms of managing like instances of Postgres, potentially build it like potentially like a multi well, we're already doing like already going to be doing like a multi tenant like connection pooler essentially, but then having it uh, kind of handle uh, some failover situations and mm, enable like high availability Postgres stuff. I mean, it, we haven't that work hasn't totally totally started yet, but. We haven't found we haven't found uh, like a connection pooler that really has a great like multi-tenant story yet. And I don't know. I just think like Elixir, like multi-tenant with like high availability and failover and stuff like that. So so yeah, I think since we're already doing a lot of that with 
I mean, we're already managing Postgres connections and listening to the wall. I, I feel like that wouldn't be a huge deal to enable that functionality with, with Elixir. And it sounds like it's actually something more internal now that you're talking about right now. Yeah, that's like, yeah, that's like, in, that's like internal. I mean, we have like a platform, a kind of API that helps us manage like lots of super base, like super base projects. And so that would be kind of like an internal piece, but we it would probably be shipped with real time. And the real time is actually an open source. It's, it's actually open source and on GitHub, the main piece of the repo is kind of still the old stuff. The new stuff is buried in a folder until it's, uh, it's like fully ready to go out, but, but it's all going to be, yeah, it's all going to be open source as well. But yeah, just, uh, I mean, in terms of enabling, like exposing Elixir stuff, I guess, to front end devs, I mean, a lot of it is, I don't know, I'm open to ideas, uh, for what front end devs potentially need. And, uh, so, so yeah, right now we're just kind of focusing on like the real time stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking about how, how this stuff would work. So if you, is there a way that I could actually have like uh, private chat rooms and things like that and, and be able to see certain people online, offline and blocking people mm-hmm. from seeing my statuses, things like that. It's really modular what you guys are set up right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's what the demo at like multiplayer.dev is meant to showcase. Like all that functionality is there. And um, I don't think like the create a room thing is there, but we're limiting people to like five per room and so if there's already five people in a room then you a new like the room id will will change on you and you'll be the only person in the room if you try and join a room with five people but yeah it's all it's it's you can see the you can see like icons for people in the room it does like a mouse like you can see all the mouse cursors for everybody in the room and then you can post um, chat messages so the idea was to showcase like these three things like presence which is, you know, the profile icons for people, who's in the room, are they typing or not, that sort of thing. The mouse cursor movements is kind of like just generic, like PubSub, like we're just broadcasting like a mouse mouse movements to everybody. Uh, and then the client is, is, you know, positioning an icon for the mouse so everybody can see everybody's mouse movements. And that stuff is not persisted to the database. And then the, uh, and then the chat messages are actually persisted to the database and sent through like the real-time wall feed over WebSockets. The typical like Phoenix channels I, or the old the old default app before there was Live View with the channels chat app didn't persist messages. But this demo is kind of meant to showcase like, I mean, ultimately when you're building a chat service, you probably want old chat messages to appear when people enter the room. And so with this way, it's, it goes to the database first and then the changes of the database get broadcast back to, back to you and everybody else that's connected through Phoenix, through your channel, um, which was listening to the, uh, the changes on the Postgres right ahead log. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty exciting. Uh, how come you were limited to five people in a, in a channel, in a channel? Is that just because of the, of just the demo? Yeah, just a demo. I mean, we're going to have to put some limits around like messages per second on a channel, the like payload size that you're allowed to send through. And then we'll probably have to do some different limits for like the presence stuff because presence is a bit more sensitive to like, like large maps and, and, and throughput ultimately because it's 
was doing a lot more work than just a regular like pub sub broadcast. And so, yeah, it was really just to, to not have a thousand people join the same room and then have to account for that. Yeah, because that stuff could pretty scale pretty quickly, right? Especially on your bandwidth, no? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if we're letting people send arbitrary data over PubSub, I mean, yeah, we need to not <laughs> we need to not have people sending like ten megabyte payloads over PubSub. That would be that would not probably that would probably not be very good. Now, are you guys actually doing like a custom protocol on top of Phoenix and kind of doing your own? stuff and then doing translations or are you actually just really just calling phoenix underneath the hood i'm just trying to think about the javascript layer part how you guys yeah. handle most of the stuff yeah so i guess it is i yeah i mean i guess it is kind of like our own protocol just in that we have a like a structure of the of everything that's getting sent over and i think the i think all the javascript stuff is I'm not sure if it's up or not let me see here. But yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like we have like a kind of like a layer on top of um, of the just the regular Phoenix JavaScript. Yeah. And, and actually, uh, I think we talked about this before we started recording. Right. So you guys said that you got this idea of using Phoenix channels and presence from people actually using Superbase for things that you guys think they shouldn't be using it for or the way they're using it was not optimal or something like that. Right. So yeah, there's uh if you go to like Superbase GitHub Superbase real time dash JS, I think all the latest changes are in master currently. But uh but yeah, so Postgres like we provide this we provide this real time feed from Postgres and a lot of people that ended up signing up and using at least the hosted service is uh we just a lot of people were using it for games. And we noticed that a lot of people were using it for things that maybe you didn't need to actually persist to the database. So like uh, like player positions, for instance. I mean, you might want to persist that and just because if you need, to, you know, you want to do, somebody wants to do like a hard refresh for a game or whatever, but, but they were using it, they were using the real-time feed to actually update like player positions in real time. And it, and it works actually really well because Postgres can be very fast uh, when it's set up correctly. But it's it's just like, that's just something like you don't need. I mean, ultimately, like player positions, you really shouldn't be running that through the database. Like you should be sending that to everybody directly so that it gets there like as fast as possible. And uh, and so it, it just, it, there were just lots of cases like that where I was like, eh, you probably don't need to be like, you know, you could probably get a lot more throughput on on your database if you don't send that stuff there, through it. And so we wanted to give people we wanted to give people like another solution that's like you don't really need to persist stuff, just broadcast it over over PubSub, and uh, and then that way you have to hammer your database with stuff that you otherwise like really don't need to persist. Now, is there a plan to kind of reach out to some of these people and let them know about it if they're actually been kind of a, somewhat abusing it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we already have. I mean, internally, we have been uh, kind of talking about this feature as we're building it with these um, with these customers, and uh, and so they already they kind of knew it was in the works, and they're kind of like top of our list in terms of uh, people that we're going to reach out to to get to get on board with it as soon as it's uh, production ready. Um, and then after, uh, then after those, then after we, we, you know, the way that we're going to roll this out is like, we're going to kind of like turn it on kind of account by account basis. 
enable it for the people that have raised their hands and expressed interest and are already like customers or users of Supabase. And then from that, we'll, assuming everything goes well, kind of like enable it for everybody and then, and then, and then let everybody, and then let like the, uh, we have a list of people that we're building up on from multiplayer not dev. So we'll kind of go through that list and, and make sure everybody knows about it, that it's ready. Have you guys done any type of benchmarking to see the the difference or how good it is? It seems like, I remember in the demo, there's like a 30 millisecond latency checking. Yeah, yeah. so we actually have somebody that joined a few months ago that's basically his whole job is to like build out kind of like re- recurring benchmarks for us. And one of the things, um, one of his pers- first projects is to do uh, set this up for like the real time service and which would include benchmarks across like like the Postgres um, real time feed channels and presence. So, for instance, one of the things that is that that is that we really want to know is like, OK, if you insert something in the database with like how long does it actually take for that to insert in the database and then and then actually get back to the client as a change and and we want that to be like as short as possible or at least stay within some bounds that we identify as like reasonable and so he's building out like the whole kind of test suite that will end to end test like that functionality and, and and do that like automatically, like on a recurring basis with like a, a project that's in production, essentially. So we have like, you know, every week this this test suite gets ran against a project in production. So we can see, okay, what's the actual end-to-end latency of updating something in a database and then the client actually receiving like that change. And then and then we're also benchmarking the 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 pub sub service like the general pub sub service if you have five clients connected and they're all sending mouse movements uh and they're sending mouse movements uh, at you know 100 times a second you know the like how long does it take for you know the change from one client actually like how long how long does it take for all the other clients to like actually receive that message and you know there's there's definitely more latency the more like concurrent connected and the more more throughput of messages i mean if you think about five users sending 100 messages a second all broadcasting to like each other it multiplies pretty quickly to like tens of thousands of like the server is actually broadcasting tens of thousands of like messages per second and uh and we haven't fully um like uh that's we've got we've got some initial test results but i'm not like we haven't you know we haven't fully like established whether or not this is what whether we're if we're doing some optimism yeah like it's not like done yet essentially we're getting we're seeing some great results but we will just want to get an idea for what that actually like looks like like chris and the phoenix team has done like okay we can get two million WebSocket connections going right, but it's like okay, if like what about our what about mess overall like message throughput of the whole system? Like, what are the thresholds on that? And I, don't, I don't think anybody's ever really done that, done that work because it's a, it is really like a function of like how many connected and how many 
the messages are each is each user actually sending is each user actually sending and i think that's more indicative of the like real world use you know what i mean yeah i think they did some benchmarks but i think they sent the message it took about one to three seconds for it to be all delivered but that's one message oh, like you said if the, you're sending yeah for the two main connections on the, yeah yeah with everybody connected mm. i mean if they did if they didn't that'd be really kind of weird but i, I know what you mean like <laughs> was it two million yeah i believe it was i think it was two million uh yeah the other issue i see too is like you have was it one million let's see Phoenix, yeah it should be two million connections yeah, it wrote it two million. The 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 benchmark they did was really interesting. How they talk about how they how they figured out the benchmark and a couple of tweaks for the ETS yeah. tables like really made a huge difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're interested in performance stuff, then you haven't seen it. I guess I should maybe save this for the end of the the, the podcast. Yeah, uh, but I can mention. I'll mention. I can mention it again. There's the guys. Uh, have you seen the Stress Grid project? No. They have a website, stressgrid.com. Uh, and if you go to their blog, they have just like a ton of really good, really great benchmarks. And in terms of cowboy versions and just web server, like the latest ones, Erlang versus Go versus Java versus Node. And I feel like they've done a really good job w- with their bench. And, they, and they, actually, they actually have like an open source kind of like load testing framework that's written in Elixir, which which I've used for some Logflare stuff. And it's nice because you can just write the jobs in Elixir. But, uh, and I'll try and remember to mention that at the end also. Sorry, I was trying to find the, the figure. I think it seems to be one to two seconds or something, but maybe I'm reading wrong. Yeah, the other interesting thing that we're, we're the, so, so right now, with every Supabase project, it's a, it's a Postgres server, so you pick like a region, and it's deployed in AWS. And if you have a client listening to that, to those changes, they connect to that server in that region. So if you deploy your server in like Seattle and a user connects from Australia, then, you know, the connect time is going to take a little bit longer. And, uh, and then it's also going to take however long it takes for, you know, the message to go from Seattle to Australia over like that user's um, network connection. Uh, and so one of the things that that we, th- we think will be true and we're going to be, um, part, this is part of like the benchmarks and testing scenarios that we've, uh, we partnered with Fly on uh, Fly.io, which is maybe where you're getting, which is maybe where you're getting like the Superfly name because uh, Fly is mentioned uh, in in the, in the multiplayer, like the, the new real-time stuff blog post. Uh, but we're deploying this uh, this new real time stuff on a global fly cluster, and so we have um, uh, we have uh, simple. We had twenty, but we're kind of like scaling it up and down as needed, just for the demo. But when we launched it on Friday, there were twenty fly nodes all over the world that were all connected. It's just a Erlang cluster. So that if a user in Australia uh, connects, they're going to connect to the node closest to them. And then for like instance, the database changes, those that's going to get connected. The database, uh, the process that actually listens to the wall is going to connect to that instance from the fly instance 
uh, like closest to the database. So if it's in Seattle, the 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 node in Seattle, the fly node in Seattle is going to connect to that one. And then in theory, now we have these um, pub sub messages essentially going over like the global fly network backbone. So in theory, this user in Australia will get their pub sub, will get their WebSocket messages like much faster than they would if they just kind of connected to that um, to that node in Seattle directly. Um, and we're in the middle of like uh, actually seeing what that that latency benefit might be. Um, but we, we think it could be substantial. And the, the guy that, uh, his name is Igor, and he worked for like a trading, I don't know if it was crypto, I don't think it was, I don't know if it was crypto or not, but it was uh, some trading platform and they had kind of like a similar, they had a lot of users in Brazil, their main servers were in, um, uh, were in like Spain somewhere and they kind of had like a similar setup that, that they did and those, the, the, their, essentially it was worth the effort to do that for them because those users were able to, to get data back and forth to the server much faster if they, if that data went over like the, they were deployed on AWS. So it was on the AWS backbone. So we'll, we'll see, but whatever results we, that come of that, we'll be publishing those and it'll be interesting to find out. Yeah. I mean, it seems like Flight.io is really pushing out a lot of stuff and they also hired what Chris McCord and Mm -hmm. another person. I'm sure lots more people that I don't even know about to kind of work on their stuff and or at least maybe DevRel or something like that. But uh, they're doing some quite some interesting stuff. Is there actually a way that you can one click install your your superbase to to Fly.io? Or this is just um, for the demo only? No, not current. Well, Fly, I mean it's all Docker based. We have like a Docker compose mm-hmm. that kind of spins everything up. And so I don't know if we have like uh I don't know how easy that is or not, but some of the live books that I that I worked on, like there's an easy, you know, I put a deploy on fly button on that. And I mean, we're deploying this multiplayer cluster on, on, uh, on fly. So, and that's open source. So I wouldn't be surprised if a deploy, like a deploy on fly button got into that also. Yeah, that could be quite interesting. But you guys have your own infra. Uh, how come you guys just didn't run the demo on your own infrastructure? It's just, Frankly, it's just like way easier. I mean, the the global stuff was way easier, and I and if that provides significant gains, then it's going to be something that I think we really want to talk about. And it was just way it was just way easier to deploy something globally on fly than it actually than it was to do that with with our own AWS stuff. And so it was like, and if it and if it's not faster or if it's not materially faster. It was it was just easy to kind of like test that theory with with fly, but it's but it's also very easy to deploy. I mean, it's we've got some new we've got some other stuff we're now deploying on fly, and uh, and they support you know like uh, canary deployments. They support like blue green deployments, all with their command line, and so it's it's uh, it's I mean it's a robust platform, and it's just frankly it's just like been easier for us to to get stuff to uh, onto servers with fly than it otherwise we got to like kind of like get some other people from the back end infra team involved to like set everything up on the AWS side and uh, it's just it's just not as just not as easy <laughs> really 
Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. So there's some kind of partnership possibly starting up between two of you or that's still yeah, maybe yeah, under talks? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we're working together. We like what they built. They like what we've built. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't, I think it might go somewhere, but I mean, uh, like we're talking a lot about a lot of different things. So there might be something like official official at some point, but right now we just, we just like using their service <laughs> really, I guess more than anything. I kind of like to, to talk a little bit. We talked before the show also about, yeah, the, the space that you guys are in. I mean, what would you even call the industry of what you guys are in? Maybe like, what is it, backend as a service? I don't even know what you guys even call that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess you could really classify as like a database hosting company, right? I mean, anybody that hosts a database, we're going to be competing with ultimately. We, I mean, we compete with Amazon and on for their RDS and like Aurora service. And, and there, there are a number of like Postgres specific hosting companies. There are basically every new database uh, that comes online has like a cloud service. So yeah, I mean, if, if you're, if you're putting your data somewhere, we're ultimately like competing with, with that company, I think. But that's like probably what you would say to like a VC, right? Our market is ginormous, which it is, but specifically to make the, developer experience for setting up a back end that 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 developer experience for like front end developers is really kind of like what we're focusing on yeah sure i never thought about it like that like i was thinking more about like when i think about Superbase, as we talked about before it's more like competing with firebase probably the biggest com- uh, person you guys are competing with what is it app right uh i'm trying to think there's any others out there like what, what what would you say that really makes you guys stand out compared to other types of you know we can even make it even more general like you said database hosting companies mm-hmm. what is it that like if you guys were to say okay this is the one thing that we do really really good that nobody else can do mm-hmm. i mean really it's the i mean really it's the real-time feed i'm not sure what the story I, frankly i haven't I haven't done a lot of like competitive research as far as like what's out there. And so I wouldn't be able to speak in detail to like why Superbase is like maybe that much better than AppRite or some other service that's kind of like a Firebase replacement. Um, Other than, I mean, we've been doing it, well, longer, but that's not even like that long. But (laughs) but yeah, but in terms of like, I mean, if it's like another database, like if you're just hosting a database somewhere, it's like we have all this stuff on top of Postgres which is great. And we're, I mean, everything's, all the servers like Apache 2 licensed and all the libraries are, are MIT licensed. And so like uh, literally everything is is open source. And we I actually just changed. So Logflare was, I started Logflare and Logflare was uh, like business sourced. So, which is, it's not really open sourced. It, it, like the code is available for you to look at. 
Um, but you, I mean, you, you can't really use it for anything like material and that source that, that license kind of came out of the, it actually, I think the guys that started my sequel who are now doing Maria DB, I think that was their like kind of take on an open source business friendly license to help protect from like Amazon, basically like taking your project and then rolling it out as like a whole product without contributing back but logflare i just actually friday logflare i just changed to apache 2 so it's all it's all apache 2 now so i had my question and i think i lost it yeah so there's nothing that's there's no secret repositories is there like everything's kind of done out in the open at least or at least eventually be released yeah, out in the open I mean, we have we have like a we have like a platform that kind of like i said is private that manages like lots of, it just helps us manage our infra, like our hosting infrastructure but there's not really much that's like that i wouldn't think that's super relevant and it's just a lot of stuff that's we need to keep just for security reasons right it's like they're like we just want to keep that stuff uh private to the company but yeah i mean other than that like everything we try to do op- uh, like uh, op- open source so what is like the benefit? Like if I could just take your stuff and just run it myself, and I'm sure you guys give lots of support on how to do that. There must be documentation or something like that. Like yeah, what's the docu- benefit for me to pay, right, to to do this? Yeah, well, I mean, the documentation is good. I mean, you can you can fire up a Superbase stack and run it yourself. I mean, if you're talking about hosting a Postgres server, and I mean, you could fit it all on one server. And so, I mean, you might pay a little bit less then I think our, our pro plan is like 20, it's free. You get two projects for free, but then you upgrade to pro it's 25 bucks a month. I mean, you could maybe fire it, fire up the whole thing on one server on digital ocean for like 10 bucks a month. But, you know, but ultimately if you're, if you're going to see any sort of, uh, or expect to see any sort of traffic, I think paying the 25 bucks a month to, kind of have like make sure that we're on top of it and i mean we're very responsive too and just in terms of like we have a lot of people that are postgres experts and you know like a lot of front-end devs don't know what indexes are (laughs) and so while postgres is always is is usually like i mean it's pretty it's very fast out of the box but if you have a decently large table without indexes it's not going to be very fast and so if you're running into some things that are some endpoints or whatever that are, or some calls that are returning slower than what you expect them to return. It's just really easy to reach out to support and we can like help you with that stuff. And so I think the extra 10 bucks a month to get started is worth that. Yeah, definitely. As you guys, as you alluded quite a few times, it's like, well, yeah, we have a big mix of tech, but at the same time, we're kind of choosing the best in class pieces that I think really fit for Superbase as a whole, right? That's why you guys mm-hmm. didn't choose one single language. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Is there any regrets on anything you guys did choose? Like, oh man, I wish we didn't choose Go for this piece, but it seems like you guys are really happy now. No, I don't think there's any, I mean, I don't think there's any regrets per se. I think it's a stall. I mean, you're either regretting the code that somebody else wrote or you're, you're regretting like the code that you wrote six months ago. Right. Right? Yeah. So it's all kind of like the same stuff. It all, it all has to be, it all has to like look a little different at different scales. And Mm -hmm. so it's just a matter of like figuring out what it needs to look like at whatever scale that you're at. Okay. 
Well, I don't think I have any more questions. I mean, it's good to hear more about Superbase because I've been hearing about it, but I haven't taken a look at it because as we discussed before the show, like I just, most of my products don't really need that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but you know, maybe I will take a look at it. I mean, I think for people who are actually using Firebase, I may ask them to take a look at it too. Yeah. I, what do you work I, on mostly? I don't really know like a lot about you really. Uh, for me, I mean, I'm mostly doing GraphQL APIs as we talked about before the show. And I'm using, of course, Phoenix, uh, Absinthe, and Postgres. Mm-hmm. That's the most of my stuff. I had one. So I don't know. I, I mm-hmm. haven't used, I've not been, I haven't needed to really dig into the GraphQL stuff personally. But but all, obviously, like, GraphQL is huge for, like, front-end devs. Mm-hmm. And um, we just we just rolled out PG GraphQL. I don't know how this plays with Absinthe or if it would play with Absinthe or if it would replace Absinthe. But it's basically an extension that lives inside Postgres and takes GraphQL queries and turns them into, transposes them into like actual SQL queries that gets ran like right at the database. So it helps solve like, yeah, like basically it, it helps solve like the n plus one problem and any sort of round trips associated with like multiple. If you're trying to like mutate and read or whatever, like kind of helps solve that because it does it all in one actual like transaction, which can also, which actually also helps with potentially rolling back like a huge like GraphQL mutate sort of thing. At least that's like my understanding of it. So I don't know Mm -hmm. how, and part of like, I mean, really part of like what I want to do ultimately is make the, and I don't, I don't know how it, I haven't really wrapped my head around how the stuff that we're building on top of Superbase fits in uh, with the Elixir community because it's already like, they've already built a lot of that stuff. (laughs) Like, you know, like the, the auth stuff, the gen auth, um that was released like that is huge it makes it super easy we have absent which is which is like a great graphql server and if you're running elixir you already have a server so you don't really not really like looking for a graphql server that's like built into the database um there's so like the the kind file library which is what the real-time stuff was originally built on post postgrex or trying to think of where exactly which is exactly library it's in but i don't know if it's at the ecto level or the postgres postgres level but you can uh just you can actually listen to the wall feed now directly with like because because file use it use use some old uh erling um epg uh, sql and it, it had some uh connection like jitteriness issues i guess but anyways jose i think recently added uh like listening to the wall directly within postgrex or ecto or it's not ecto but one of the underlying libraries that that you that you use postgres with in elixir you can actually listen to to the wall feed now Mm. as uh, as a binary format and one of the things i too that the you should check out is one of the founders of fly kurt did a recent talk at the last main elixir conf in the states and it was about how and i think this is what jose did this for is basically he's got two like postgres servers up like on different parts of the world and he's able to with elixir he's able to do an update and then 
basically only re- and and then and then if you're trying to do a read immediately after from like the 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 Postgres that you're reading from, so you make the write to the master or the the main, and then you read from the replica. Well, you need to if you really want to have like the the read after write guarantees, you need to wait for the the log um, on the replica to catch up to the uh, to the main to to the to the write. And so <clears throat> the, he's the, basically they they kind of like uh, push this library that lets you easily do that with essentially no application changes. Um, and a lot of the things that Elixir gives us out of the box enables that um, that functionality. And I think that's 